He will come again to judge the living and the dead. When Drew asked me to speak on this line this morning, I kind of, my first impulse was, man, I wish I was the one that was out of town. Because judgment, who wants to talk about that? It's not a subject we like to think about. It's often been presented to us in the, in the kind of language of condemnation, of guilt, of punishment, and threat. We ha even have an expression for when someone's done something wrong and they need to be called to account for it. We say they're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. Well, that's almost always something perceived as threatening and something I want to avoid anyway. And it, it tends to act more as a stick to, in an effort to keep people in line, to tow some line of behavior. And of course, there are several places in Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, that encourage us to live in view of this coming judgment, and it warns us of downplaying or trivializing the seriousness of sin and all the just destruction that evil brings to creation and to our own lives. But there are many other places where Scripture paints scenes of judgment as something to be celebrated, to be anticipated, to even be longed for. And, and that's the side of this coming again to judge the living and the dead I'd like us to focus on for a few moments this morning. See, the creed essentially tells a story. It tells the gospel in miniature. It's a story that both forms and informs the church and most great stories, they often have great beginnings, an opening line that catches our attention, draws us in, and, and causes us to lean in to, to, to wonder, how's this story going to develop? What, what twists and turns are we going to see? How's it going? How are all the conflicts going to be resolved? How are we going to move toward an ending of this story? You're probably familiar with some of the more well-known lines in literature, whether you've read the books or not. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities, we, we know that one. You may not have read this book, but you may have heard the opening line, Call Me Ishmael, Herman Melville, Moby Dick, all 800 pages. Some of you, I'm guessing primarily the women among us, might know this opening line, it's a bit longer, it's a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice. But the same thing's true of, of great movies, too, that they have memorable opening scenes or lines. For example, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And I likely don't have to tell you what set of movies that line comes from. But these openings, these beginnings of these stories draw us into the drama that's going to take place. And this is true not just of fiction stories, but it's true of non-fiction stories as well. It's true of very true stories. In our story, the gospel story, the story that ends with the coming of the Lord to judge the living and the dead is also a great story with a great opening line. In fact, 
For the ending of any story to make any sense at all to us, we have to know how the story begins. The creed begins with God the Father, but Scripture itself, from which the creed is drawn, which is a story, begins with, in the beginning, God created. And we're immediately drawn in. What kind of God is this that creates? What kind of creation's been formed and for what purpose? And what kind of relationship does this creative God want with that which has been created? And we go on through the story and it develops through ups and downs and twists and turns and what we know as the Old Testament until finally we get to what we call the New Testament and we're introduced to the Jesus story and it continues still full of surprises and unexpected turns. The Gospel of John perhaps tells it more uniquely than the others. John sort of recapitulates this beginning story, this Genesis story. It's a kind of retelling, a variation on a theme. Uh, it's creation in a different key. John extends the creation story and begins with another great line. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And when we hear this line, we just know there's a great story about to be told. What is this God word up to? What's the, what's the mission, the purpose of this mysterious word who was in some mysterious way from before the beginning of time all the way through to the end of time? And in every story, we want to know how it will end. The ending's what keeps us reading the book. It's what keeps us watching the movie. Will Captain Ahab get the great white whale? Will Mr. Darcy find a wife? Will Luke Skywalker overcome the temptation of the dark side? Or will the Emperor's fully operational Death Star destroy the rebellion? We want to know, we need to know how the story ends. The story of the Father, Son, Spirit's no different. How does this drama between creator and creation end? What's this thing we call judgment like? Who wins this battle between good and evil? This is the story we're immersed in. So yes, the story of this three-in-one God and, and the creation ends with the return of the King to judge both the living and dead because every beginning must have an ending. And the church needs to know this story. There's an old gospel song we used to sing, tell me the old, old story. Tell us the story that shapes and fills our lives beginning to end. Tell us where this all is going in this world of challenges and darkness and woe. Tell us of the God who creates and loves and communes and provides and saves. Tell us about the crack in creation through which Satan and sin and oh so much darkness has entered the world. Tell us of God's intent to heal the tear in human character. Tell us the old, old story of Jesus and his blood. Tell us how Jesus went about preaching peace and doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil 
Because we need to be reminded that our battle is not against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against the principalities and powers and the rulers and the heavenly places. There's more sort of going on around us than what we see. Tell us again how this Jesus is the vessel poured out for all by which the crack in creation is finally healed to the extent that the result can only be called new creation. Tell us how people from every nation tribe and tongue are called and invited to be a part of this great healing and event scripture calls salvation something that pours out and oozes into every corner of creation itself and tell us again how this savior has come to put all put that all <laughs> come to put death on notice that it won't that it cannot have the last word and tell us how this Savior has come so that all who trust may have life and have it abundantly. This is the story of Scripture. Tell us this, how the story ends because all of what God began long ago is finally and completely realized in this ending we call the coming of the Lord. So yes, this Jesus is coming again to judge both the living and the dead. And we can hear this as good news. For on that day, this prayer that we say together every Sunday morning on earth as it is in heaven will be fully and finally answered. On that day, the world will be set right and creation will cease its groaning and be set free from bondage. This tear in human character will be mended, both yours and mine. And all of us now seeing the glory of the Lord in what the Apostle Paul describes as looking through a glass darkly or reflected in a mirror, no more on that day but we will be transformed into the same image of the Christ from one glory to the glory of the Christ himself that we will take on. On that day, justice will be done. Brokenness will be made whole. Mourning will be turned to joy. Darkness will surrender to light. Death will give way to life. On that day, every Knee will bend in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, which sounds an awful lot like the place of the dead. And all the living and the dead and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a great day of judgment that will be. And the waiting church says, come Lord Jesus. And those of us who trust in this story, who are shaped by this story, who try to live as best we understand by this story, need have no fear of the coming of the Lord. Israel knew that. Israel knew the joy of the Lord's judgment, and we can learn from them. Remember this Psalm 96 that Randall led us in to read this together this morning. It's a celebration song of the Lord coming in judgment. Israel gets all excited and breaks out singing about what's about to happen 
Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. That's a lot of singing. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the people. This is salvation work they're singing about. Finally, the day that we have wanted has come. And near the end of the psalm, they say, Say among the nations, the Lord is king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. Finally, there is security. Finally, there is safety in a world filled with danger. The Lord has come. He will judge the peoples with equity. No more biased judges and prejudiced juries. This is one who will judge rightly and fairly. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. You fish, get on board. It's time to sing. Let the field exult and everything in it, including the field mice and the lilies of the field. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy, the oaks and the elm and the fir and the maples. Before the Lord they shall sing, for He is coming, and He is coming to judge the earth. And He will judge the world with righteousness. Another Hebrew word for justice and the people with His truth. The King of glory is also the King of justice. And finally, on this day, there will be both peace and justice. Israel knew all this. They knew at long last the king would come that one day and set things right. He would throw down the principalities and the powers, the false idols made by our weak human hands, and bring the faithful into the joyful salvation of their God. And all creation gets excited about it. And the trees break out singing for joy for the coming judgment. Israel isn't filled with dread at the coming of the Lord. Rather, they can hardly wait for it. The Apostle Paul knows all of this too. He continues this story of Psalm 96 with his confident and exuberant view of judgment and tells the church in Rome that there's no need for dread for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Romans 8, beginning in verse 31, Paul tells them, what are we to say about all of this? If God's for us, who's against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, Will he not with him also give us everything else? <laughs> who will bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies, who is condemned. It's Jesus Christ who, who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or we might add pandemic? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a good story. In these words, Paul tells the story of the coming of the Lord for believers. This is our story. The king returns to the living and the dead. And no one is forgotten. No one is left out. The dead are judged and the brokenness of the past is redeemed and reconciled. The living are judged and the hurts and the wrongs and the inequities of this life are made right. All things are reconciled. And this is the ending that all of creation longs for. And surprisingly, or perhaps because we know the story, not so surprisingly, in one of those twists of the gospel story, this ending isn't really an ending at all. It's a new beginning. See, judgment isn't an end in itself. In the beginning, God created not so there could be a judgment, but so there could be a relationship. In the beginning, God wanted you and he wanted us and he wanted a creation to be with. So judgment isn't an end in itself. It's a beginning where Revelation 21 tells us in that day, the home of God will be among humans and God will dwell with them as their God and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. And mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things, the old things, the broken things have passed away. So tell me, who can tell a story of a judge and a judgment like that in this world except the followers of Jesus? The creed reminds us of the story the church lives by. Being aware of the, of the coming judgment, yes, it should cause us to be careful how we live. And as the Apostle Paul says, we're not called to live as unwise people, but as wise ones, making the most of the time because the days in which we live are evil. And we know that, don't we? That's part of the story. And it can remind us that a judgment there will be those who are called sheep, those who welcome the hungry, I'm sorry, welcome the stranger and feed the hungry, clothe the naked, care for the sick and the prisoners. And yes, there are those who will be named as goats, those who live primarily for themselves. And yes, we should take heed of that. That's part of the story too. But living in view of the Lord's coming gives us a goal, a finish line, a location 
for finishing well in this journey called faith. All this is important and helpful because we know how the story ends. That those who believe, who trust in the Father Almighty and in the Son Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit can be confident before the coming judge on that day. And part of our story to help us remember all that is that we've been baptized and the Holy Spirit has come upon us. The church baptized us. We didn't do it to ourselves. Other people did it for us. And in our baptism, it told us the story of our lives is now merged in the story of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Beginning to end. And by the power of God, the story infuses us with hope and confidence of passing through judgment into the glory of God so that we might join with the oaks and the elms and the fish and the field mice in singing in joy and saying among the nations, the Lord is King. Come, Lord Jesus. Now that's a story you could build a life around. May it be so.